Hello, welcome to Film Trace. This is a podcast where we trace the life of a film from conception to production all the way to release and reception. It's our season two finale. It is the episode number 10. Uh, it's kind of crazy. When did we start doing this? This would have been over the summer. We were doing the Wildline podcast, uh, which is a box office podcast, and um, movies died. Our movie theaters died. <laughs> right. And we, you know, I think we sort of thought like we kept on doing shows and we're like, I don't know what we're going to talk about. And thank God we switched because we thought, oh, maybe the movie theaters will come back in like I a know. few months, but those, they're never coming back. Those last uh, few episodes, we were uh, focusing on like VOD numbers and it was it was kind of sketch. Yeah, um, it was a little sketch. There wasn't a lot to talk about then. No. Uh, that's we started to do, you know, decided to start Film Trace and kind of do a reboot and you know, stay in the film world, but uh, take it from a different perspective. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. And, you know, thanks to anybody who's listening out there. I love it. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, follow us on Twitter. We're on every podcast platform you can think of. So just, you know, subscribe, whatever. Um, but for our special season finale of season two, Chris, it is your choice picking a film that is older, uh, but now on streaming. Uh, what did you pick for the season finale? Well, uh, it was kind of an inspiration, a friend, longtime listener and guest host on a couple episodes, uh, our good friend Molly, who helped us out with the Trial of Chicago 7 episode, um, as well as one other one that escapes me at the moment. Uh, Earlier this season, she was like, well, you guys got to do a Christmas movie, right? Something holiday themed since our season finales happen to wrap up right before um, the big Two five, and uh, I wasn't really <laughs> that. That's what I call it. Is that not what other is that the uh, yeah. the the secular name for Christmas? <laughs> Are you killing Christmas, Chris? Your name's Chris. It's the Come war. On. It's the war on my war. my own name. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and and at first I wasn't super into that idea because I'm like oh, I feel like so many holiday movies are played out especially um as we get closer and closer and yet uh, as i was searching through i was really curious about what was new on shutter this month because uh i wanted to for sure do something good and i know that dan and i are both horror nuts and we haven't really given shutter some love on this podcast yet and it's it's really a solid streaming service it's small it's not as uh as deep as some of the others um, out there, but uh, they really do a solid job, I think. And um, new on their platform this month, as well as on Hulu, is the 2010 release Rare Exports A Christmas Tale, which also marks not only our first holiday film to be covered on the podcast, but our first non-English language uh, film to be covered on the podcast. Yeah, that's true. I want to know how you came about this film, because this is one of those movies where unless you're kind of in some sort of no, you would never come across this movie. Yep. Um, There's just no way. Like, how did you find this? Honestly, 2010 was an interesting year because uh, Oscilloscope Films, which is a subsidiary of, was a subsidiary of 20th Century Fox, an indie division distributor. And uh, I was super obsessed with them around this time. I was really curious, like about finding out everything that they would put out. Uh, it kind of probably started with maybe a movie that we don't agree with <laughs> about a lot. Uh, Kelly Reichert's um, uh, Wendy and Lucy. Oh, God. <laughs> and I fell in love with that movie. And so I immediately wanted to know everything Oscilloscope was doing. And uh, it just so happened, you know, I was uh, I actually went and saw this movie by myself. 
shut oh. up you saw this in the theater yes yes yes, yes no yes. you were like one of the how much to do like domestically we have it done somewhere like nothing like there was 200k i think it did 200k you're yeah. one of those people <laughs> there was like two other people in the theater i saw it on a whim i used to teach at a school where we would get done at noon on fridays and so i went to the art house theater here in minneapolis and uh it was it was kind of a tradition that i had done for a while and i just wanted to like see what was uh see what was uh planned and I was like, uh, there was really nothing there. And I didn't know anything about rare exports, but I knew that oscilloscope was putting it out. And so I had to give it a shot. And I was really, really surprised. It was a really fun movie to see on like a dreary, I think it was a December day. Maybe it was January. I don't know for sure. Um, but yeah. um, uh, on like a dreary, like cold day by myself and just have like a little moment of like, oh yeah, this is this is a thing that like nobody knows about. And it's really, really cool. Yeah, they're they're an awesome kind of. I guess, are they a studio or distributor? I don't really know what their story is. They are, are they largely just, do they just distribute, or they yeah. actually produce films. Okay, they're, gotcha. lo- they're largely a distributor um, that was founded by Adam Yock of uh, the Beastie Boys, actually. Really? Yeah, uh, they put out um, probably two of my favorite films of the last ten years: uh, the Love Witch. They distributed a couple. Oh. Years back, yeah. and they also did the same year. I think they did uh Columbus, uh, which Absolutely. are two just like smaller films, but like oh god, they're just like beyond top shelf. I mean, yeah. just like the, the best. And they put out my uh favorite movie of 2018, actually, Josephine Decker's Madeline's Madeline. So oh, nice. They 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 are they're, they're a small company that is just like batting a thousand, and I I I really wish that uh they got more love. Um, but that's kind of the deal with the distributor. It's that, you know, they're, they're, they're looking for stuff that's already out there that needs a little bit of a push. Uh, and you know, it's, it's kind of a thankless duty, but I'm glad they're doing it. So rare exports, what the heck is this? It's called full title rare exports, a Christmas tale, and it's from Finland. It was a collaborative, uh, production between Finland, Norway, France, and Sweden. And this guy that wrote and directed it, Jalmari Helander, kind of came out of nowhere. He had gotten some traction by putting uh, together two short films also under the Rare Exports title that are kind of somewhat related. They're almost like precursors. It's like he has his own like small Finnish cinematic universe thing going on with with Rare Exports, which is interesting because this was, you know, probably, you know, a good few years before the MCU really happened. Like he was thinking big and I think it uh, paid off well for him. What's it about? Well, he put out these first two uh, short films, which I haven't had the chance to see, but they definitely. Uh, there, you got. You should check them. Oh, out. really? Did you watch them? Yeah, because I was okay. just like really fascinated. Because, and we'll get deeper into it with like the production and stuff like that, how this thing was made. But uh, yeah, it was just kind of cool to see where the ideas came from. Very, uh, very different tone. Yes. I feel like than the the um the main feature here and i'm guessing that like he got money from the shorts essentially Mm -hmm. the shorts were very popular and that's how he like gathered the resources and the funding to make the the feature film because like the first short came out 2003 and the second one came out 2005 Uh, he doesn't make this till 2010 uh so it's a little bit of uh there's a time lag there but i'm sure like getting something like this off the ground takes forever um and i'm not sure what the film funding is in in finland i was looking this up it's non-existent right 
Like it just doesn't. There is no like. I'm not gonna like be dismissive and say, "Hey, there's not enough film." There's just not, and it kind of blows my mind because you wouldn't think that, right? Because you think like, "Oh, it's like a European country. Obviously, there's people making films that are like being released elsewhere." That kind of does not happen in Finland for whatever reason. Uh, so this is a really rare export, if you will. Oh, how long have you been sitting on that one, Dan? I just came out with it. Right okay, now. good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, somehow he did scrape together over two million, which, yeah, which I mean, even not even considering the fact that it, like you mentioned, it's a place where movies just generally don't get made. But also the fact that just like it, it's such a beautiful looking movie, yeah, and so like two million dollars is a lot of money in the context of you know where we're talking about and what kind of you know first time feature filmmaker we're talking about but the fact that he's able to make a movie look as good as he can 10 years ago uh with just two million dollars is also very impressive so what is it about uh I, we keep kind of dancing around this because it's it is yeah. kind of slippery right it's not something that really uh it's a christmas movie as it says right there in the subtitle but it's not exactly either so basically here's what you got the log line for Rare, rare exports a christmas tale if you aren't familiar with it by the way i do recommend checking it out before perhaps you listen to the rest of this episode because uh i think it's one of those movies that's very fun to watch without knowing little to nothing about it yeah i would agree with that for sure so a young boy named pietari uh is our protagonist and he and his friend Husso uh think that there's a secret mountain drilling project happening near their home in northern finland where they believe the tomb of Santa Claus is about to be uncovered uh-huh. and the legend of Santa Claus to be right up front off the bat in Finland is way different than it is in America. Uh, if you know any of the other kind of um, especially like Scandinavian Santa folklore, you hopefully know that there's, there's a darker side to it. This is kind of covered. I don't, I've never, I still haven't seen it, but from what I've read about it, and maybe you can speak to this Dan about the Krampus that came out stateside in 2015 i haven't seen that okay. and i feel like that's right up both of our alleys i know why how have we not seen this, this movie <laughs> tailor made for us like a weirdo makes no sense why they would put money into this released in christmas right <laughs> right so they think that this santa claus that is uh buried in this mountainside is a monstrous evil santa um unlike the cherry saint nick of legend and then when pieteri's father uh, captures a feral old man in his wolf trap out in the middle of nowhere in the snow. He thinks that this weird old guy could hold the key to why reindeer are being slaughtered and children are disappearing around the countryside. So yeah, that's that. The, I mean, right there, I I think that uh, I didn't even know that logline going into it when I first saw it. I just knew it was like some yeah. weirdo foreign Santa Claus, maybe monster style movie. I don't know. But uh, I think that's just like such a strong premise to to start with, especially when you are dealing with the Christmas horror genre, which I know you did a little bit of a deep dive for us, Dan, if you could speak a little to that. I mean, yeah. this is a very niche genre outside of uh, even just outside of Rare Exports and Krampus. Yeah, it's kind of uh, it's a sub niche of a niche. <laughs> um, like, it's just a weird thing. Like, I think I. I think it starts with Black Christmas, which is also 1974 shot up in Canada. Super indie movie that did very, very well. Uh, also considered one of the first slasher films of all time, uh, you know, before mm-hmm. Halloween and all that kind of right. stuff. So Black, uh, Black Christmas, 1974. Then you have Gremlins in 1984, 
which I think you have to count is Christmas oh, yeah. War, right? Like, because yeah. it's just Christmas is so prominent in that film. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night, uh, which shout out to Shudder. If you do get Shudder, yes. uh, which I've had for uh, a long time, uh, Joe Bob Briggs, uh, who is the horror um, host legend uh, from TNT Monster Vision and from other shows and stuff he's done over the years, he kind of like restarted that genre. I want to say like two years ago, summer of 2018, he did a 24 hour marathon Mm -hmm. and he's done like 12 since then. More than that. Two seasons worth. I've watched most of them. Uh, He did a great Christmas uh, one. I think it was last year. Uh, He did Silent Night, Deadly Night on there. So it might still be up there on Shudder. Check that out. Uh, But that's a really fun fucking crazy, you know, obviously nuts movie. Uh, Jack Frost, also a crazy horror uh, Christmas film. More of a, I guess, uh, winter film. Uh, black, and then I have the two Black Christmas remakes, oh Black gosh. Christmas 2006, which I saw in the theater, uh, and Black Christmas 2019, which I saw a bootleg of. Um, absolutely terrible, both of them. Yeah. The the original Black Christmas, though, um, Joe Bob Briggs also did Black Christmas for one of his Christmas specials the last couple of years. It is unbelievable uh, to watch him go, like, just rattle off the most ridiculous facts and background about that movie it like enhances the experience so much so definitely check that out um but yeah i don't know what is it about is there and there's also one he did i forget what it was called it's a french movie uh that was really disturbing uh, he did it actually a week ago he did his uh, his other christmas special oh really um yeah like uh, last friday um i don't know is there can we count this as a subgenre or are these just horror films that happen to take place during Christmas? Is the Christmas element vital to what they're doing here? You know, that's a fair question, because like you said, Jack Frost is more winter. Black Christmas, it almost seems like that's more in the background, yeah. um, though, you know, some of the key you know visuals definitely connect it. And it's right there in the title. Uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night and Gremlins feel like I mean, obviously, I just yeah. don't need to see Krampus, but. I don't know. It's weird because uh, especially if you consider Rare Exports a part of this, because uh, some interesting uh, interviews um, have come out in the past 10 years with Holander, the writer director, and he actually was not very inspired by uh, the Christmas horror genre. It was actually perhaps more of like the Spielberg style uh, filmmaking stateside that was more interesting to him. And he does admit Uh, in a in an interview with Pop Matters. Um, that you know maybe the thing had kind of gotten there subconsciously uh john carpenter's 1982 version uh that there is definitely that kind of crossover element to like maybe more of like a fantasy sci-fi like it's mythological right in nature rather than true like monster movie horror fashion uh and you know one thing one vibe that i got um from the from my rewatch of this movie uh that I did not expect was actually it really felt like a superior version of the movie Super 8 from J.J. Abrams. If you're oh, that really one. fascinating that you're taking that angle to it, because I did not think about that at all. Yeah, um, but it has that. Yeah, it's action adventure Spielberg. Right. And it's, so it's got the and it's got this like pure sense of wonder, which is one of the things that I think makes the movie so special is that he's not really going for like the slasher thing at all, even though that's definitely oh. an undercurrent. It's so much more like that's I mean, that's ultimately, I think, when movies are most magical is when they can find that tone, that vibe that you don't really get in any other movies. 
plus it also like has so many other familiar elements but just like put in a blender in a way in which you've never really you know gotten before and uh and that and that's great that like we can have it be a part of this sub niche genre of christmas horror <laughs> but also it still stands out from all of those which is by the way i think one of the reasons that gremlins is so wonderful too yeah no i think that that's a that's a good point it it, it doesn't you know and this came up in a lot of the reviews and sort of there was some uh, some actual wrote a paper an academic paper about this movie oh, really? um yeah it's uh it's pretty fascinating it's about climate change and stuff like that mm-hmm. um uh but uh yeah i think you know one of the things that doesn't if you go into this movie thinking about Christmas, like I think we all have a very, God, they, they call it the Coke and Co- Coca-Cola style yep. view of Christmas where it's just like super commercialized and presents and there's all these sort of signifiers of Christmas. You don't get a lot of those here. You get some of them. You're obviously it's a snowy environment. He's a reindeer butcher, <laughs> uh, like stuff like that. Um, but you don't really get that sort of super commercial aspect of Christmas to it. Um, and I don't know. I, I kind of found that definitely refreshing. Right. Um, it, it just didn't feel like. And this is also like where Santa's supposed to come from. Uh, like it just had a different vibe to it um, that obviously if you're American and you're watching this, you're like, yeah, I guess it's about Christmas. But it just feels like a very. Um, I was gonna say it's an obtuse sort of European sort of viewpoint of, of, of Christmas and what the holiday is all about. Um, I don't know. It's and the, one of the things that stood out to me in this movie too, just like to start out talking about like diving into the content here. No women. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a single woman in no. this movie. There's even a woman like the mother is referenced, but still like she's basically in the hair with the hair dryer, but like, that's it. <laughs> it's just like, not there. Like, what is that all about? That's an interesting question. I, 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 that's one thing that didn't register with me back in 2010, but totally registered with me in my rewatch this year. So I don't know, like, I don't know really what to make of that. I almost feel like there, if there wasn't an intentionality behind that decision, that it, yeah, you know, regardless of what the, whether or not it was an accident, um, it almost felt like once again, going back to, you put an Ebert quote in here that one of the ways in which this movie works big time is that um, it has this super like comedic spine to it, but it's played straight. Right. And so it almost felt to me like that was part of the comedy of this idea of it just being the men trying to do this absolutely ridiculous, absurd, foolish. Yeah, exactly. So but, I don't, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm giving it too much credit because because uh, I am kind of starry eyed about the movie. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was really fascinating. It does. There's a bumbling element to the three main older men. Yep. who are trying to like you know, and that the those three guys are kind of continue are continued from the shorts. Um. So in the first mm, short, it's gotcha. three guys essentially hunting Santa, a Santa. Uh. And then the the second short, it's them sort of the second short is super bizarre. Really, it's like I mean the tone is so, um, especially with the second one. I think I forget what the title of it. It's like safety instructions, rare export safety instructions. Um, it's very uh, dark, like way darker than the movie. Mm. Uh, they shoot a Santa essentially in the legs, <laughs> right in front of the kid. Who's the kid in this movie? Uh, and it's just like you're like, wait, uh... what? Uh, it's so, and this is interesting to talk about the conception of this. 
the shorts are very much what I would expect somebody who works in the commercial space, who's a commercial filmmaker, something that they would do uh, for fun or to sort of like as like a calling card. Right. Hey, this is our style. This is what we do. It has that um, element to it. And what I mean by that specifically, it has the shorts have this richness that um, is very different than the feature film. Not that the feature film doesn't have its own sort of depth. It does. It has its own sort of style. But the shorts are much more like almost like a car commercial polish to it. Right. But with like a very dark undertone, hmm. uh, which makes it super ironic, which makes it even more interesting, which is why I think that it got a ton of attention all over the world uh, and tons of views. It's up on Vimeo and stuff if you guys want to check it out. It's, it's really interesting to look at it that way. And you can see where the um uh sort of spark for the main idea here comes from uh santa being not who we think he is like not the commercialized santa at all not the coca-cola santa this sort of almost pagan uh type mm -hmm. um i don't know i don't even know what you like a demon or something like some sort of like creature that lives in the the snow covered woods, you know what I mean? Like it's a very different viewpoint than you would be expecting going into this. But I think that adds so much to this sort of, it, it's essentially a fantasy story almost on some level. So we call it horror, but there's a very strong sort of fantasy pagan thing going on here, uh, which um, I don't know. It, that's the starting point, right? Then it becomes kind of a, a kind of a fun horror action movie after that. Um, but it's quite dark. I mean, how did you, when you first saw this and when you're approaching it now, how do you view that sort of dark undertone being presented with sort of the Christmas holiday, which is often considered or thought of as this very warm, familial time to be with people and show kindness and all that sort of stuff? Give yeah. Give. You how, know, do you, how do you see that? Well, I mean, I, I, one thing that really stuck out to me this time is what, how, what made it work. Um, and he he touches on this in uh, an interview he did with Bloody Disgusting was, I think, the key to like marrying those two uh, juxtaposed tones is the protagonist of the kid of uh, Pitari, right? That yeah. he is kind of our anchor. He's maybe not even protagonist because I feel like some equal weight is given to his father. And, you know, it's yeah. not necessarily it's not like a character study by any means. There's there's definitely they're more sketches. They're more like classic adventure film uh protagonists uh in that sense but the fact that he's there as that anchor works in like the same kind of way that like the henry thomas character works in et or uh the 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 kid characters work in signs uh to reference two movies that Holander admitted that he was you know heavily influenced by when when writing this feature and one thing that i that i really thought about in terms of uh why that works is I think going back to um, when we're talking about Christmas and we're talking about all like the fuzzy, warm feelings of Christmas, that's so much also entrenched in like our nostalgia for childhood, right? And for any of yeah. us Westerners, at least, who who have uh, uh, grown up. And, you know, I think one, one of the common refrains of jokes uh, of when you get older is that like the holidays aren't don't have that kind of innocent magic to them, right? That they that they once yeah, did. Yeah. If anything, sometimes they can be maybe not this year because it's an anomaly with the pandemic, but it can be almost like a stressor of that idea of like 
getting everything ready and getting back in with family that might have, you know, differing political opinions, blah, blah, blah. Um, but the fact that, and I, and it's not just the fact that, uh, you get it through the eyes of Pietari, who is, and I think that's one of the things that actually I remembered catching on my interest in the first watch in the theaters in 2010 or early 2011 was the fact that of when he like starts stapling closed the advent calendar. (sighs) And especially because I went into this movie not knowing what I was getting at all. And so immediately like the wet, like, you know, classic like westernized, American person was like, wait, why the heck would the advent calendar be a source of fear? And then like, as that stuff starts unraveling, and I think Holander does such a good job for an international audience so so that it works both for people that have background knowledge of the Finnish legend um, sidebar. I did do do a little Wikipediaing about uh, Jolupoku, the Finnish legend of uh, Santa Claus. Um, and it, it, and he explains it a little bit in some of his interviews, Holander does, uh, that it's a, essentially that translates from Finnish to Yule goat. And so there's actually, yeah, that's, yeah. that, that's why you have the horns, spoiler alert, um, uh, jutting out of the, the ice covered Santa monster at the end of the film. <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, so like, absolutely. Like there's like you mentioned like the the vision between the difference between the vision of like a coca-cola christmas and a and a you know pagan christmas uh it's such a it's such a fascinating um juxtaposition that really the only way that that makes sense is if we see it through the eyes of a kid yeah that would otherwise in you know an american movie have nothing but complete starry-eyed wonder when it comes to celebrating the christmas season how would this be Americanized? <laughs> I don't know. Like, think about like let the right one in and how they Americanized right. that. Which I yeah. thought was pretty good. I mean, I kind of like the 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 original is amazing, but the remake was fun too. Yeah, it's, it, it was not but bad. What would term. you change here? Like, what would you? I feel like Santa Claus would be much more like um like a like a like a bad boss, and <laughs> right. the kid would have to defeat Santa Claus. That's how they would do it. But right. here they don't do that at all. It's very like. They take a very asymmetrical viewpoint with the elves being sort of the main antagonists throughout this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then Santa Claus, you don't really see. He's just on a block of ice. Right. Um, maybe that was because of the budget. I don't, I don't <laughs> well, he'd actually had uh, Holander had a good point about um, why he he made that as a as a budget choice for sure, partially, but also because it goes back to probably one of the, you know, horror filmmaking 101, you know, less is more approach of the unknown is always scarier than the known. And so when you find out that this creepy old emaciated man is just an elf, then especially when you see the army of elves, then it just gets your imagination going. And once again, even do, you know, double that because you're seeing it from the kid's point of view and that, you know, monstrosity that's under that giant block of ice becomes even more just like ghoulish and grotesque, but also still like outwardly hilarious to get back to the, I think, core point of the movie, which is the comedy of it yeah it's super funny and uh it kind of it, it does that's where it really is connected to the shorts it has the same sense of sort of macabre humor mm-hmm. um like especially when they uh find the elf and he's in there and he's like uh teasing him with the gingerbread and like bites off the dude's ear <laughs> yes. essentially like that's just like so absurd but like hilarious at the same time and i just like the characters are fun uh and maybe it's a little bit of us sort of viewing that through like an american lens but i think they're meant to be it, it's it's a comedic film i mean he says here like i don't think it's a horror film at all 
there's some scary elements in it, but I think it's some kind of an uh, adventure film myself. So as a director, what do we, do you label this? How do we label this? Uh, if you were to tell somebody, I think I would have to say it's a horror film. It really? feels like a horror film. And, you know, I, I would have totally agreed with you uh, two days ago, but when I rewatched it last night um, and then wa- reading these interviews with Holander, I really, I, I got way more of an adventure vibe this time. Mm-hmm. But I, but I think that's also what makes it so unique and special is that I, I also was just talking in my film studies class uh, today to my students because I just had them watch Silence of the Lambs. And they were immediately arguing about, you know, is it horror? Is it thriller? Is it a crime drama? And, you know, once again, like any movie that you can have where it like overlaps genres so easily and so nimbly, then you know that it's it, it's it's worth the hype. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think it uh, it definitely uh, meshes uh, or mashes. I don't know. It's a it's a genre stew. It's a genre gumbo. Yep. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I, I, that's kind of what adds to the sort of the engagement and appeal to it because it does. I mean, one of the things I'll say about this, just thinking about like how this thing was was shot and edited and all of that. This thing is tight. Mm-hmm. It is mm-hmm. a tight film. It does not drag. And I think that's like a double-edged sword for me personally with it because one, uh, it really thrusts you into the, that universe, that um, sort of fantasy universe that it's created, that if you don't have the background of like the shorts and all that, you kind of miss like a lot of what's happening. Uh, and I, I feel like there could have been just a little bit more uh, exposition in the earlier part of the films to educate the viewer about the rules. Yeah. Like, I don't know where someone brought this up, but like a lot of like gremlins does this, like w- with the horror rule the rules of gremlins don't feed much of midnight, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I could have used a little bit more of that, but besides that, it's just like a super tight, like, what is it like 90 minutes? Not even. Yeah. It's like, um, yeah, it's, it's, it just tough. flows and so much happens. And it's just like, and that's where you kind of get that propulsive plot that feels like an action adventure movie. Mm-hmm. It has just like, it just goes and goes and goes. Um, let's talk about, you know, how this thing was uh, kind of the reception on this and, um, you know, how people came to it. Obviously you came to it, you saw it, you know, in the United States. So it did get released internationally. You know, how was this received? Do you think worldwide? Well, yeah, I mean, it, had its first debut at Locarno Film Festival, which is uh, the annual kind of bigger uh, film festival in Scandinavia. It's in Switzerland. Um, and I think uh, one of the things that I read was, yeah, it was in that same bloody disgusting interview. Holander was not expecting at all to get the kind of response that he got. Uh, yeah. It was kind of like he had felt like it was enough of a success, just, you know, ha- piggybacking off of the, uh, success of the shorts uh, and managing to finagle $2 million to make this movie. And so he was just kind of like having like a, a breath of relief when it finally screened, but then it got so much attention, then it started going all over the place uh, elsewhere. And that was, that's huge because it's very rare. Like Finland has only ever had one uh, movie get on the short list, never had a movie nominated for best foreign language film at the Oscars. And so he, he became kind of Finland's darling boy because of that. And so then it made it over to the U S it premiered at fantastic fest in September of that year, 2010. 
And then, yeah, got that uh, distribution deal through a Oscilloscope um, for a worldwide release on December 3rd, which is huge because uh, it ended up at the end of the day making over $4 million. And, you know, whether or not that's any kind of break even, uh, it's, you know, it, I think I don't even think that's even worth considering uh, whether, you know, the PNA helped them break. Uh, make a profit at the end of the day or not because ultimately this is about this is a movie about getting Finland filmmaking out there and I can't think of, I don't know any other Finnish movies to be honest uh, so I couldn't uh, name a single one yeah so yeah. so I think that like regardless of the box office results the fact that it was just it was above the production budget and it got released so you know far spread is enough to say that it was uh, it was a success um i i'm fascinated by that yeah because it's like um you know making a film in finland where there's not a huge amount of funding going around especially two million dollars or whatever it was 2.2 million dollars was the production budget on this i do wonder like how did he scrape together the money right uh probably through i mean i guess it was like a joint production with different com- uh countries some mm-hmm. other funding surface- sources outside of finland um how did he do that? And then like, what was his goal in doing that? Because it's like, you think about it, it, was it just to like make the best movie he could possibly make and think that, Oh, like people in Finland are going to see this and love this. That's probably who was his goal, right? Like he, I don't think he had any sort of aspiration for this to become like a worldwide thing. And I don't think he probably ever thought that like two random American dudes <laughs> doing a film podcast would be talking about his movie. Like spent a whole episode talking about his movie 10 years later. Um, do you think he had that intention or do you think that, I don't know. Or do you think that like he just wanted to make a, an awesome movie for his own people in Finland? Yeah. I, there was a really touching quote actually from one of Holander's interviews where he mentioned, you know, growing up because he grew up in rural Finland and so he had a lot of that pressure that I think a lot of people can relate to no matter where you grew up in the world of growing up as a boy and feeling that pressure to do something masculine with your life. And so he's <laughs> he grew up with like kind of like the stereotypical guys that play the, the the adults in the movie. Right. They're kind of, you know, either butchers or hunters or lumberjacks or whatever. And he just had no interest in that as a kid. He just was like obsessed with storytelling and photography, and he wanted to to figure out a way to do something creative with his life. And so to be able to like see that and then see how that parallels um, the relationship between uh, Pietari and his father Rono in the movie, which, by the way, are played by a real father and son, uh, Ani and Yorma Tamila. And I think that's one of like the key anchors of the film is not just the kid as the protagonist, but also just the father son relationship, especially with the epilogue of the film when we see how what they've done with their rare exports line of santas as silly <laughs> as it is um but uh and so i think that it you know if he was trying to make a movie for Finland, and i'm making air quotes when i say that uh right. he was doing it under the pretext of like once again trying to do the impossible which so many filmmakers that start out small try to do and they have these huge aspirations to like do s- something that you know, very few people managed to be able to do make a life, a career out of, you know, putting stories to screen. And 
Uh, I think, like I said earlier, he was not expecting the kind of reaction from the film festival circuit that he ended up getting. He just felt like it was huge enough to just get it into the world. And it just so happened that it super, super resonated with uh, not just people in his home country, but all around the globe. Yeah, I mean, and critics loved it, right? 90% Rotten Tomatoes, Mm -hmm. uh, 85% from top critics that you can't, that's fantastic. Metacritic 71, uh, RT audience score 70%. uh, Letterbox is really high, uh, 74, which is like, I don't know what that translates to. It's like an A minus or something. Um, They're super into it. IMDb is a little bit lower, 64. I'm surprised by IMDb because this feels like an IMDb movie. Because you, know, you wouldn't find it unless you were looking for it. And if you did find it, you're probably going to love it. Right. And I, I, I've I, always wondered about the IMDb uh, plebs that <laughs> fill out their ratings. <laughs> How do you really feel about that? I feel like they are... I mean, you look, I, I haven't looked at the IMDb top 200 in forever, but it. Oh, I, God, it's disgusting. <laughs> I believe it. It's so gross. It's like Dark Knight and but like it's, Inception. There seems to be a heavy prejudice against foreign language movies. <laughs> yeah. Is oh, what I have to read? Whatever. Um, <laughs> and uh, I think going back to your comment about like how tight the movie is and maybe the lack yeah. of exposition, and that maybe f- ties into what we were just talking about of Holander, you know, not necessarily thinking that this would be an international movie because the the Yule Goat probably has a whole bunch more significance yeah. for the people yeah. seeing it in Finland. But honestly, yeah, that was one of the things that's one of the things that like grabbed my attention where there was like those those gaps of information left in there. Um, that's that, true. Yeah. That made you kind, kind of, of search for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of mysterious. Yeah, I'm sure there's some cultural sh- shorthands that we're missing when we're watching this movie. Sure. Uh, I mean, qu- we kind of talked about financials, but we'll quickly like it made most of this money in Finland. So three million out of its four million was made in Finland. Obviously, it was a huge movie uh, that year. Would have been what 2010 there in Finland. Um, it made what 200k here in the United States, which is it's pretty good. Chris was whatever one two hundred <laughs> somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what about critics here? Uh, any sort of critics you want to point out or um, kind of quote here that you felt really captured what this movie is all about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think your Ebert quote uh, mentioned earlier is is pretty encompassing of what I think the 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 critics that love this movie got in. I did want to give a shout out to Katsoulis, Jeanette Katsoulis from the New York Times, uh, who pointed out the the fact that it's it does the the exact thing that you'd want. Uh, a movie that can appeal to both maybe not younger kids but older kids as well as yeah. adults she wrote uh kids will love the diminutive motherless hero and a plot that's completely bonkers adults will enjoy the exuberantly pagan images and deadpan humor like it's just it's one of, it's a kitchen sink movie where there's nothing really to dislike about it other than maybe some of the missing uh pieces of exposition and also just like if you don't like the tone uh you're not uh, it's 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 a it's a no-brainer and that kind of ties into the the negative review um from tom russo of the boston globe he wrote ani tamila and young castmate ilmari yarvampa as his naughty list friend aren't directed very subtly but there's a similarly uncomfortable lonesomeness to pietari's world the tone turns broad though following a jarringly clever twist that launches the final act and that's just like a good example of like even the negative reviews can't help but mention the positives that are undeniable in the movie um, yeah. I will say that like if yeah if I if I was to to nitpick and find a piece of criticism is like this is this is a green cast 
like I I think that yeah 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 I think that's clear from the get go. Like this is like this is you know Finland like mentioned like Dan mentioned Finland doesn't have really an industry of reliables, and so yeah. but I but I that's also I think you could also argue it's part of the charm there. That I think it's a hundred percent a part of yeah. the charm. Like they're yeah they're kind of bumbling around in the movie. Like well that's kind of what their characters are all about. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's, they don't have a plan. They're just sort of like going with the going with the flow and the sort of the life that they have. I don't know. I thought that part of it was fantastic. I mean, the, the criticisms I see here, like I get it. The biggest thing you could say, I don't think this is really an objective viewpoint, but it's sort of like, you know, in terms of recommending this film to people, like I wouldn't recommend this to a lot of people. Sure. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it to my parents. Uh, they just don't have the sense. It's like a sensibility thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just have to be into that sort of macabre, um, kind of just devilish, uh, sense of humor about Christmas. And, and if you have that vibe going and like can accept that and like you liked black Christmas or something like that, you would love this movie. Like you would absolutely love it. Um, because it is such a unique and fascinating film that like on the one hand, like you said, like really does pay homage to like Spielberg and those sort of eighties action films. Um, but it is a style and voice of its own. Like it really is. And you rarely see films like that nowadays. Uh, now this is essentially an indie film that got famous and kind of did well worldwide. So that's why it has that uniqueness to it. Um, but you can't deny that you can't deny that this has, um, its own perspective and spin on the Christmas holiday and the genre that you're just not going to find almost anywhere else. I think that alone, if you're a film nerd or not, uh, is worth diving into this movie without a doubt. Um, what are you going to get? Letterbox users. I love letterbox. users. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, not, not a ton of real uh, good joke reviews uh, for this one, but that means that people genuinely like it. Like you mentioned, that's a pretty high score for a random uh, finish movie but uh i mean i would absolutely 100 percent recommend this film and i'm glad that i was able to come across it and thanks shout out to molly for the suggestion for digging for a holiday movie that would work for the film trace style um what do you think uh is gonna happen with next season of film trace dan oh my god i don't know we're gonna mix it up a bit i bet we're gonna switch it so that uh, Chris is going to do the new movies and I'm going to do the old movies. And I'm wondering, cause this season it became a little bit of like an arms race <laughs> of who could screw the other one up the most with the movie. I don't know who won that, who won that. Oh that man. Sort of, because we had to give it up cause it was so bad by the time I got to the middle of the season. <laughs> uh, cause I almost picked, you picked something ridiculous. Was it high fidelity? And then V for or, Vendetta. That was a bad v one. For Vendetta, v for Vendetta was the one where I almost lost it. And I almost picked a Hillbilly Elegy for my new movie. And But then we just would be in misery. Right. Right. And I think that like I picked a movie that I loved last week for the new movie. And I think you picked the movie you loved. Uh, and that's a good way to sort of end the season. But uh, I'm sure we'll find ourselves mired in some terrible film. Uh, in season three coming up in January. Um, but we, you know, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, we will be back. We'll probably do another season of 10 episodes. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, definitely, you know, um, follow us on Twitter. We got like 600 followers almost, which is great. That's good. 
we don't really do a lot of promoting. <laughs> We're not great marketers, either of us, I don't think. It's not really our strong suit, uh, but uh, no, we're trying to grow it as 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 much as we can. Uh, but we appreciate you guys listening. Uh, any closing thoughts, Chris, on season two of Film Trace? Uh, unfortunately, Chris did have some closing thoughts, but I uh, screwed up the recording, so you get to have me say goodbye here. In any event, thanks for listening, guys. This has been season two of Film Trace. We'll be back in January with season three of Film Trace. <laughs>